It's great to be with you this morning. My name is Alan Emerson. I'm from a place called uh, Lurgan in Northern Ireland. I help lead a church here called Emmanuel. Um, we have um, a church here in Lurgan and a sister town here called Portadown. And then we have a number of other plants and uh, a network of churches called Tobar, uh, which is um, an expression of the 24-7 prayer network uh, and the communities that come under that family here in Ireland and uh, it's a privilege and pleasure to be with you. I've been in your church in Central once or twice in the past and um, a good uh, relationship with Carl and um, many of you now in the transition that you're now into and um, it's great to be um, part of your service this morning. Thanks to Zach and Naomi for getting in touch and setting it up and um, we uh, just uh, are delighted to be able to be with you. I, I say we, like I can't really kind of bring my wife and kids and all in now, but my wife, Rachel, uh, children, Annie, Erin and Finn send their love and it's um, it's yeah, a joy for us. Hopefully someday we can be there in person. I've been asked to speak on this theme of uh, unanswered prayer. Um, I think you're following Pete Gregg's um, book, uh, How to Pray, which is a brilliant book and um, I got to help input and shape a little bit in the little sections at the end of each chapter uh, around a sort of hero of the faith and also the uh, on, online uh, prayer tool shed. Um, it was great to be part of that as well and hopefully you're feeling resourced by that book. And as we <clears throat> come to this subject of Luke, um, in Luke chapter 22, the text today of unanswered prayer, we see this intense passage of Jesus. And so let's get stuck into that this morning. And I'm going to try my best in 20 minutes to um, talk about a subject that we could talk about for hours and hours. But this intense passage tells us the story of Jesus in Gethsemane, praying and relinquishing his will before the Father um, for the sake of the world and for the glory of God. It says this, verse 39 of Luke chapter 22. Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives and his disciples followed him. On reaching the place, he said to them, Pray that you will not fall into temptation. He withdrew a stone's throw away beyond them, knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. This passage opens up this difficult subject, challenging subject, heart-wrenching subject of unanswered prayer. What happens when it feels like the heavens are like brass and they're simply uh, bouncing back off heaven, it would appear. The reality is all of us experience a level of unanswered prayer where it feels like our prayers aren't working at some point in life. C.S. Lewis famously said every war every famine or plague almost every deathbed is a monument to a petition that was not granted it's such a huge topic for us to cover and there are so many uh, so many layers and so much nuance and so much compassion that is needed uh, for each individual story of unanswered prayer there's so many different variables for why prayers might not be answered or why it seems like they're not working and we need to be careful when it comes to teaching on these things that or or explaining these things that we don't give glib answers or simple answers and certainly that we don't universalize one reason for all unanswered prayer 
We need to rather discern the Lord in each story that we listen to because each of our stories is incredibly valuable and precious to God. Our stories, I think Eugene Peterson says, are never to be repeated stories of grace. And so it's important that when we're teaching it and we're talking about universal, uh, when we're talking about unanswered prayer, we don't universalize one answer and that we don't allow someone else's story to invalidate your story. Um, we need to prayerfully discern how the Lord in his mystery, in his mystery and in his grace is working in each of our lives as a good father. But let me, let me try and give some thoughts that might help and then I'm going to talk a little bit about my own story. Um, and so at a base level, there is, uh, and, and as a, at a sort of young believers or young Christians level, there's a number of, um, a, a checklist if you like, of different ways that it might be good to go through if we're not experiencing um, the answers to your prayer that we want. This is taken from Pete, um, Pete Gregg's book, How, uh, God on Mute. And this is, this is, really, this is really helpful. And so I'm gonna fly through these. There's like 15 of uh, different kind of, 16 on a checklist here. So let me, let me go through some ways that prayer, some reasons why prayer might not be answered. Number one, common sense. Am I asking God to do something against the laws of nature, something meaningless or illogical? So am I asking God to get me an A in my maths test that I didn't do one piece of revision for? Um, asking God to help you, and that's not a problem, but it's important that you probably don't get too annoyed with him if you didn't do any work yourself. That's not common sense. Number two, um, is it a contradictory prayer? Are my prayers conflicting with someone else's? Um, the girl who prayed for uh, no rain on her wedding day and the, the, the farmer who prayed for rain for his crops, maybe underneath it. Uh, understandably, our prayers could be slightly self-centered. Thirdly, the laws of nature. Are my prayers potentially detrimental to the natural order of me? I know um, <clears throat> Scotland is probably a bit like Northern Ireland. We just want the sun to stop on us in August because it's wet here. And um, But, you know, God, um, for whatever reasons, has certain laws of nature in place and we just don't live in a climate where that's always going to happen. Um, life is tough. Am I expecting God to spur me from stuff that's just common human experience because of the broken world that we live in are we kind of in a victimhood mentality and is that stopping us from seeing god at work in other ways number five doctrine does my prayer reflect god's character and his promises may what what i what, is there a sense of what i'm praying for my life could be outside of his will for my life am i praying to be prosperous and wealthy um because I'm thinking about myself, or is it because I want to steward that wealth well? Six, am I praying for second best? Is it a second best that you are praying that without realizing that actually God has something better for you? I think it was Billy Graham's wife who said that she was really glad God didn't answer her prayers or she'd have married the wrong guy three times. Okay, sometimes God has something better for us. Number seven, uh, our motives. Are our prayers being just essentially selfish? I don't know if you've seen that movie years ago, Bruce Almighty, where he comes to realize that what he really wanted wasn't what was going to make him happy. He needed to trust in something beyond that um, and not just pray selfish, superficial kind of prayers. Number eight, <clears throat> relationship. 
your relationship with God? Is there an opportunity for God to do something deeper in your life in terms of his relationship with you? Is he calling you to something deeper and withholding something that's kind of taken his place from you is actually going to drive you deeper into his love and his um, uh, the depth of beauty and relationship he wants with you. Number nine, free will. Am I asking God to override someone else's free will? Number 10, influence. Am I trying to exercise ungodly power over a person's life in prayer? Sometimes if we actually listen to our prayers, we realize that we're just wanting God to do in them what we want him to do in them and that might not be God's best for them. Number 11, satanic opposition or demonic oppression. In, is my prayer in line with God's will is the first question, but is there resistance to this will that I need to think about? We see this in the story of Daniel where prayers, uh, the answer to prayers were hindered because there was a spiritual battle going on in the heavenly realms. And that uh, is important for us to understand that there is a, a warfare mentality that we need to, and theology that we need to have in our prayer life. Number 12, Faith, uh, are we not seeing the answers because we don't really believe God can answer it? And uh, does God really want to um, increase our level of faith in our prayers as we pray to him for certain answers? Number 13, perseverance. Do we simply pray enough? There are some things we can pray for, but there's other things we need to pray through. This is in the Bible, in, in the Gospel of Luke. We're told that story of that woman who, who knocks on the door and will not give up until somebody gets up and answers the door to her and she gets what she wants. This is importune, persevering prayer. Number 14, sin. Is this, this is just honesty time before God. There may well be something that's blocking the answers to your prayers, the sin that does need confessed, the deceitfulness in the heart that God wants to clean up because he can't bless you until he can trust that you can steward what he wants you to. And there might need to be some heart surgery spiritually that needs to happen. Number 15, justice. Am I seeking to express God's love for the poor? And is God uh, challenging and encouraging me to make sure my prayers are in line with his heart for the broken? And not just what I need for myself. And then number 16, maybe none of the above. And that's a really important point actually. Because as, as much as these different um, items on this checklist can be a reason why you're not seeing the answers to your prayer. The reality is we do want to hold intention the mystery of who we are as individuals. And how God works out his purposes and plans in our lives. And therefore we don't want to just simply categorize one of them around you but as a, as a young believer you might find that helpful and there may well be some reasons or a number of them together that are um, explaining a little bit more to you what uh, the reason might be for some prayers that you're not seeing answered. Pete summarizes all of that in God and Mute very helpfully in three sections to help with our discernment. Is it is it God's world that we're dealing with? Is there just some things that are happening in the world, the laws of nature that we that, that, that prevent us from seeing the answers that we want to see. C.S. Lewis said that by definition, miracles have to be relatively rare. And, um, and so there's things like gravity and other laws of nature, the weather and uh, sort of cosmic systems that we just need to understand are in place. Is, is secondly, God's will in, uh, is this God's will that we're actually praying for? 
His ways are higher than ours and we may not we we may not be praying as well and we need to come into a place of understanding what that is through persistent prayer. And then thirdly, God's war. Is there an element of spiritual warfare going on here? Are we praying God's will but it's being resisted and so we need to pray right through and not give up until we see the breakthrough coming. But what I, what I want to say with all that being said, what, what if we're praying God's good will for someone? What if we know that it's God's God's will that people are healed and whole and flourishing and experiencing shalom. And, uh, and after resisting the war, if you like, after praying against the sickness, after praying against the mental health, after praying against that um, thing that might be blocking God's breakthrough in your life, and still you don't get the answer and you're left with the consequences of, broken, of this broken world. What, what do you do then? How, how do you deal with that level of unanswered prayer when it feels like you've, you've went through the checklist, you've, you've, you've prayed the scriptures, you've, you've done everything that you feel would be asked of you in these moments and still you don't see that prayer? What, what happens then? When I was 23, um, I got married to a girl called Lindsay. Um, I met her two or three years before that and um, pretty much instantly fell in love. We um, met each other and started to get to know one another. And I was a youth pastor at the time. She came to the youth. I was trying not to like show that she was my favorite, but she kind of was in my head. And for a year, we prayed about this relationship without ever really talking about it. We got together a year later and we just wanted to serve Jesus together. We um, had the scripture in John chapter 3 where it says the spirit is like the wind and you don't know where it's going to blow from or where it's going to blow to, but you can hear it. And we... We made a vow before the Lord when we got married that we would um, be blown by the wind wherever he wanted us to go. And that first year we were, we went places and served God and we we had a wonderful time. But a year after we got married, we went to Uganda uh, where I have um, uh, just a really part of my heart is there. And we've established a, a mission there over the years, which we continue to support. A school that we've built there and a pastor that we're in connection with. And when she came home from that trip, she had really sore heads and when we got to the bottom of what they were we realized that she had a brain tumor and this was incredibly difficult difficult time for us and as you can imagine and our worlds were thrown apart and upside down and uh, she went for surgery really quickly like four days after we found out what was really going on she um, did relatively well through that first level of surgery but then um, after two or three months relapsed and started to have seizures. This led to more surgery, six rounds of chemotherapy and radiotherapy and eventually in uh, April 2007 when she was 23, I was 27 after just a year and a half of marriage, um, Lindsay passed away and it was just the most deepest, darkest place that I ended up finding myself and never would have experienced anything like this obviously in the past and never imagined myself having to deal with the pain and the heartache of that. Um, and I felt during Lindsay's sickness that God had given me such a love and desire to care for her and to see her become healed and whole. And I went through, if you like, that checklist. I did everything that I felt was required of me. I wanted to love her like Christ loved the church. I prayed for her. Everybody was praying for that. And I knew people were worshiping and praying and breaking through and binding the sickness and pushing back darkness. And, you know, we experienced beautiful times in the presence of God. But ultimately, the thing that we were actually asking for, Lindsay's healing, 
wasn't happening and I found myself dealing with this unanswered prayer and yet for the most of her sickness I felt I carried peace, the peace of God, the prayers were sustaining me and in one sense they were working but ultimately they, they weren't and on one of the particular occasions a month before Lindsay passed away we got bad news and her speech had started to slur and you know her her, her her functionality cognitively was starting to weaken and after an appointment with the oncologist you know they kept me behind afterwards and it seemed like they were preparing me for the worst they were just like we need you to know that your, your wife's really really sick now and and in that moment I felt part of the peace that I'd carried start to crack and crumble and yet I thought no I'm going to fight on and so I think I fasted for 11 days never really ate anything and just prayed and cried out to God and but the more I prayed, the more I fasted, it seemed the worst that she got. And uh, and it came to this point, um, it would be like a week before Lindsay died, where I was sitting at her bed, where we were caring for her constantly in her mother's house. And um, I suppose that was the point where I had my own Gethsemane moment. I, I, I cried out to God, God, I don't know what else to do. I, I want you to heal her. It was it was like a tug of war with God. I was saying, God, I I I I I want you to heal her. I've been asking you to heal her, but everything I'm doing is not making her any better. In fact, it seems like she's getting worse and worse. And God, somewhere in the midst of this, I need to recognize your sovereignty. I don't understand why you would take her. I'm still hoping that you don't. I'm not giving up, but. I'm giving you into her hands because I'm trusting that you love her more than I love her, even though I feel like I run you close at the moment. And all of that kind of was going on and I was giving her to God. I was taking her back off God. I was I was saying, God, you can look after her, but please let me look after her. That, that was my moment. And yet somewhere in the midst of that, as I wrote those words in my journal, completely stained with the tears that were just flowing down my face, I became became aware of an element of peace even though I was still ready to fight and yet one week later I woke up on a Sunday morning and I watched her take her last breath and it was harrowing it was it was deep and dark and in these moments uh, I became aware that when we pray for God's will we don't always know what God's will is I mean we know what his perfect will is like we know that one day um, tears will be no more there will be no more night there will be no more pain there will be no more cancer there will be no more brain tumours there will be no more mental health pandemics there will be no more COVID there will be no more of these things we know his perfect will and we're called to pray these aggressively I believe um, some people passively said to me I'm just praying God's will for your wife I was like well don't do that we'll do that yes because that like sounds right but pray for healing because we are I believe called to pray in so that in a way that we've no regrets I didn't want to feel like I hadn't done everything I could to, to love my wife to pray for my wife to see her whole but ultimately I had to realize that hey for whatever reason God hides these things a little bit from us I didn't know what God's will was. Um, when we pray aggressively, even though we don't get the results we want, at least we've no regrets. And I've had subsequent friends and people who have been sick since, and I've employed the same strategy to give it everything I've got. And sometimes those people get healed, and sometimes they don't. And when we do that, and when we pray in that way, we come to the point where when we don't see what 
um, we desire to see. And when we've prayed God's will and we can stand over that with um, integrity, it comes to that place where we realise we have to relinquish to the will of God even though we don't understand it. And that's what happened in those moments for me. And as I realised that God had heard that prayer one week before she died, in some ways it brought a degree of peace and comfort. In other ways I was still dealing with sheer and utter brokenness. Um, it felt like, it hurt like hell basically. And it felt like the darkness just got darker day by day. And so I want to leave you um, with uh, another five or ten minutes just quickly of some things that we need to do in this place where we've dealt with the consequences or dealing with the consequences of unanswered prayer. What do we do when we're left with just extreme disappointment? Maybe even despair, maybe even depression. My ultimate feeling was one of complete and utter disappointment in a dream that had been completely smashed and in a God who I thought could have done more. And so here's a few points just to leave you with. First and foremost, we grieve. We, there is a time for grieving, the Bible tells us. We realize that we have permission to grieve and that God grieves with us. We lament, we pour out our hearts and our pain before the face of the Father. We let him, we let him know how we really feel. We can choose to keep it from him or we can put it before his face. In, in, in all of its glory and in all of its dirty glory, if you want to use that phrase, in praying in ways that we never thought that we might pray. Eugene Peterson said, it's better to pray badly than not to pray at all. Lament, Walter Brueggemann says, is the breaking of numbness by the admission of pain. When, we, when pain is brought, brought to speech, it turns to energy. And when it isn't brought to speech, it turns to despair. We need to declare and bring our disappointment before the Lord because if it's not transformed, our pain will be transmitted. We will hold it emotionally and in our bodies, actually, and at some point it will come out. And so God encourages us to pour this out before the Father. Every thought or feeling is a valid entry into prayer. Ronald Rollheiser says, what's important is that we pray what's inside of us, not what we think God would like us to say. And then what happens is we grieve and as lament and as we take our time with that and as we allow the pain to go through us and out of us before the face of the Father, then we begin to recognise that he is present in our pain. Unanswered prayer actually becomes a place where we know God in ways that we didn't before. And I suppose the text that we've read today reminds us of that, helps us to know that this was something Jesus experienced and understood when he had to relinquish and chose, thank God, to relinquish his will for the glory of God. He enters into the pain of that unfulfilled dream, that deep longing that still exists within you, that cry for something that you long for that hasn't come your way. Jesus can enter into that because he's been there and he qualifies being with, being present with, her, with us in her pain because he has walked the same road only at a much more extreme level. When I was going through those days of struggling with unanswered prayer and where the pain was just 
so deep that the only way I could express it was through aches and groans when the waves of grief came on me. And often it would happen at night as I lay in my bed. And I was back home in my mum and dad's house and the pain that I would feel would sometimes just start to leave my body without me even trying to suppress it. Just groans would just start to leave my body as the tears just streamed out of my um, eyes down into my ears. It's funny the sensation that you remember as tears just roll into your ears. Um, but often in these nights of kind of eerie silence and darkness, without even realising that I would, I would become aware of a presence in my room, it would be my dad, and my dad would just be sitting at the edge of my bed, and often I would just hear him weeping with me, and just he, he, he feel the emotion in his voice. And in those moments, one, he would never really say anything, but one particular time, my dad leant over my bed as a leather, and uh, he, he nestled his head down into my chest and he said, Son, I want you to know if I could take this pain into my own body, if I could take this for you, I would, I would do it. And um, in those moments, I suppose I became aware through my father's witness of how God is present with our pain. He, he sits with us in our unanswered prayers and he walks through the valley of the shadow of death with us. And yet the other interesting thing about this metaphor was because my dad's a human being, he couldn't take that in his own body. He couldn't do what he longed to do. But what I want you to hear today is as you struggle with unanswered prayer and the pain of what that has brought to your life, I want you to hear that Jesus can do what my dad couldn't do for me. Jesus did take your pain into his own body. He, he, he dealt not just with your sin on the cross, but with your grief and your sorrow, all the results of sin. He was a man acquainted with grief, who carried our sorrows, absorbed our pain into himself, so that even the darkness now is as light to him. And because Jesus came out of the tomb and has been to the darkest place that anybody has ever been to and took all of the darkness of humanity on himself in those moments, there is no place where you have been where he has not been. And therefore we can know today with absolute certainty that even though it feels like darkness to that, to, to us, and even though we don't want to invalidate that in any way, even the darkness has become like light to him, and he is coming and meeting you in your pain. And as we start to know that he is present, as we go beyond just getting quick fix answers, but actually becoming aware of an overwhelmed and embodied and enveloped in sheer presence, Silence, by the way, doesn't mean absence, yeah? So we might not be getting the answers, but we are getting himself. And as we become aware of that, we learn to trust God more than we understand him. We live into the mystery of who God really is. We choose to believe in God's goodness, even when we don't feel like it. We believe some stuff that we don't feel like we believe. And this is where, as we come through the lament and as we come through the grief and as we become aware of his presence with us and that faith muscles just start to rise that little bit and bit and, and faith muscles start to strengthen a little bit as faith starts to rise. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 25 verse 1, it's the glory of God to conceal a matter, but kings, the glory of kings to search it out. And God's glory is God's goodness. That's the way it's revealed through scripture. We, we, we love the idea of glory clouds and manifestations of his glory, but ultimately those are only signs of the supreme goodness and depth of kindness of God our Father. 
uh, revealed in Jesus. And so when God, um, and when it says that God's glory is to conceal the matter, he, in his goodness, he hides things from us, but he doesn't hide them actually from us. He hides them for us. He calls us to trust in his presence that in the same way a, a good father, earthly father, would withhold some things from his kids because he knows it's better that they just don't know yet. But he holds them and cradles them because he knows his presence is more than enough. So much more, a good, godly, heavenly, perfect father who lives in heaven, he, for whatever reason, in his mysterious ways of grace, he's concealing stuff because he knows it's best for us. And that can be a long kind of struggle before we get to that place of resting in that. But ultimately, that's what God does. But what I want you to hear is this is not some contemplative, esoteric kind of just um, airy, furry, mystical kind of thing. This is trusting in the mystery of God in a, in a wrestle. It's, 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 it's the back and forth. It's the pushing and pulling with God. And that can often go on for days and maybe years. And in that picture of the wrestle where we see God and Jacob wrestling together, Jacob is not letting go until God blesses him. It's like, God, you've not given me what I want, but God, I will get you. I will have something of you. I will not let you go. And I will keep bringing my questions to you. And I will keep putting this before your face. And God, you will have to do with me what you need to do to me to help me get to the place where I rest in you. And of course, in the story of Jacob, what we hear is of God uh, having to touch his hip in such a way that it kind of broke something inside Jacob. And in those moments, Jacob had an encounter of the living God that he never had in his life before. And it caused him to walk with a limp forever after this situation. But yet, in those moments, Jacob was changed. Jacob was changed forever. His identity was transformed. Jacob, the deceiver, something completely broke in him that caused him now to become Israel, a prince with God, someone who has struggled with God and prevailed. And so what I want to leave you with today is ultimately in all the struggle, in all the pain and all the brokenness, I want you to hear God is with you in all answered prayer. I don't want to give you a glib answer, but what I do want to encourage you with is unanswered prayer becomes a place to encounter the presence of the living God in a way that you might not if all the things that you ever wanted just came to pass. And eternity itself will reveal part of the beauty and wonder and mystery of that grace. I often think about Jacob when uh, his sons would have been introducing visitors to their tribe after um, his encounter with God in that wrestle by the river Jabbok one dark evening that they would have introduced their father and maybe the visitors would have said what what happened to your father why is he limping and the, the brothers would have looked at one another and said well we tell them Let, let's tell them well dad one night while we were all sleeping getting on with our lives he met God he wrestled with God he held God in ways that we have never held God. And he's been changed and different ever since. And I suppose in my life, I wanted my time of unanswered prayer not to identify me anymore, just simply as the young widower who had to deal with such a big, big, really 
life traumatic event. But I want people to know that maybe about me, but ultimately I want them to know that there's the guy that met with God in that moment and it changed him forever. And uh, I hope in time, in the unanswered prayers that you're dealing with, you too can come to that place. May God bless you and may you know his comfort in these days and may you be strengthened in your soul to serve him more and more. The Lord bless you. Thanks for having me this morning.